Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. Thanks for coming up and sharing time with, with us, guys. Appreciate it. So um, as we <clears throat> get into the study today of God's Word, uh, just a quick, oh really, we're not going to be doing Mark today. Um, so some of you are like, finally, a Sunday without Mark. Uh, why we're not doing Mark is because we've got some things that we want to see initiated in our church life in the next few months, and it's time to start talking about them out in the open. Uh, we've been, not secretive, but we've been talking amongst leadership, and we had a, a lunch, uh, gosh, a couple months ago now, asking for some input, and it's important for us now to start moving forward, like wide out in the open, to let everybody know how things uh, we're proposing to change, and really, the final decision comes in how you guys respond, ultimately. So, uh, this could be a glorious change uh, where God moves mightily in our midst, or uh, well, we'll just, we'll just say that's what it's going to be. We're going to look forward to that because this has been prayed over, this has been talked about. And so today I wanted to give a little bit more information. And so there will be scripture, so don't worry. Uh, we're going to talk about God's word a lot because God's word is really the, the heart of who we are as believers. Understanding his truth is what makes us able to live this life in such a way that we are not like the world around us, but we are different we have a hope. We have an ability to become more Christ-like, to become more what God has always intended for us. And so it's important for us to understand that God's word and our faith in it and our learning and growing in it is just so critical to who we are as Christians. <clears throat> Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, the apostle Paul writes to his protege, Timothy, and he says this, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. That how we deal with Scripture, how we manage our relationship with God and with Scripture is critical to, to being able to stand up <clears throat> before God and say, I am doing all that I can to follow after you, to walk with you, to know you, and to make you known. And so we're going to talk a little bit today about the importance of learning, the importance of really grabbing a hold of Scripture and spending time in it with other believers that we might fulfill what we've clearly been commanded to fulfill. In Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus, he, he has gathered his disciples together. He is just about ready to be ascended, to be taken physically back into heaven, to sit at the right hand of the Father. And so in this moment, right before his ascension, he charges the disciples with a specific task. And we call this the Great Commission. It is the, the commissioning of, of his followers to accomplish a specific task. And just prior to this, he says that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And then he charges us as believers with this task. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus, as he's departing from his followers, he says to them, I'm leaving you with one job. And that one job is to go out and make disciples. To go out and make copies of you as you've copied after me. Uh, This is the one case where plagiarism is a good thing, where we begin to to see the word of, of God dwelling up within us and changing us, and then we pass that exact same word off to the next generation of believers. And we're supposed to be making disciples, and and the first task in making a disciple is to baptize them. And then the second task is to teach them. There are two parts then, to welcome them into the fellowship and baptism, to help them to uh, recognize their connection to both Christ and his body, the church, and then to begin to teach. And Jesus doesn't say, go therefore and make a church and hire a pastor, and have him baptize people and teach them on your behalf. He never says anything like that. He says to those disciples, and this command then transfers down to every other disciple in the line of these 11. He says, you are supposed to go make disciples. You are supposed to baptize. You are supposed to teach. And so, While Jesus knows the church as an organization, an institution, a living entity is coming, the charge for this work is not to the church as an organization, but to believers as individuals. And so when we read this, we need to understand that Jesus is establishing this discipleship cycle for us, all of us, to enter into. He doesn't just want us to attend church every once in a while. He doesn't just want us to listen to Christian music, you know, Monday through Wednesday and then the good stuff from from Thursday and Friday because it's the weekend, you know, and the weekend warm-up and stuff. But but rather, he really wants us to understand that this Christian life is supposed to be all-encompassing in which we are out and making disciples and we enter into this cycle of we learn to teach, we teach that others might learn so that they might teach, so that someone else might learn, so that you see how this works or how it's supposed to work. So when Jesus says, go and make disciples, and he wants us to teach, he wants each believer to teach another so that they might become competent in teaching the truths of the Christian faith and then become themselves disciple makers who go out and baptize and teach. And a lot of times in church life, especially modern church life, we don't see ourselves as part of this process. We see other people. We see the people on television or we we listen to the radio. We think of the, the writers of Christian books and we go, those are the ones who are teaching. And my job is just to learn and learn and learn and learn and learn. And you know what? Learning is a beautiful thing. And we have an infinite God who loves us without reservation, who has revealed so much of himself to us already in creation and in his word. There is always more to learn of God. This is a never-ending, all-encompassing relationship that's going to be super exciting. If you're kind of freaked out about eternity and what you're going to do in eternity, i got to tell you, I am stoked. I hope you can understand that you are going to be doing a job that you love, like, like, you'll be performing work in the, to the glory of God and not a drudgery, but something that you were made for that's just like, it inspires you. And some of you, I, I gotta tell you, it's not video games. 
Okay, so don't think that's it. But, but man, some of us are just craving someday we'd love to be able to work in a garden with our hands to the glory of God. Some of us would love to build things to the glory of God. Some of us lo- would love to tear down things to the glory of God. And, and those are the kinds of jobs that we'll have in eternity. And then we'll have this opportunity to continue in this cycle of learning and teaching and growing. And all of us will be able to sit at the very feet of Jesus and learn more about an infinite God who loves us. Can, can you imagine the stories that Jesus has? Not just about his, his years walking the earth, but he's been around um, forever. And so forever, there are forever number of stories to tell us about life and godliness and, and who he is and, and how he longs for us to grow in his likeness. I mean, this is so exciting to think about this process because it's not just a drudgery. It's not just a Oh, go, got to go to Bible study. Oh, time to go to church. But it is this, this opportunity to begin today the privilege of learning more and growing in Christ-likeness and growing to know Jesus more and to invite more people into the fold and the kingdom and to see them grow. So we have this discipleship cycle that each and every one of us is supposed to be in where we are learning that we might teach others so that they might learn and teach others. And the cycle continues ad infinitum to the glory of God. But too often, we think that we aren't part of this. It's somebody else's job. But we are. We're always in one of these two modes, or we should be as a believer. You should always be either Teaching so that someone else might learn or learning so that someday you might teach. You, you should be on one side of this cycle or the other, or some of us are on both sides of the cycle right now. I, I mean, even now, I'm taking classes so that I can get better. I'm learning so that I can be a better teacher, so that I can grow. And we, we all should be in this cycle on at least one of the two sides, if not both of them, but understanding the goal is always we learn to teach, we teach that others might learn, that they might teach The goal is to continue the discipleship cycle. And we see, Scripture tells us some very clear places that it's supposed to happen. First and foremost, the discipleship cycle should be happening in every home. In every Christian home, there should be an effort to continue the discipleship cycle. We can go back into the Old Testament, into Deuteronomy, and to the Shema, and Jesus, or God saying to, to his people, that here's the one rule, love me with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself, right? This is it. And, and then when you get this thing, I want you to understand something, you're supposed to be teaching it to your children all the time. Now, now Scripture gives it a little bit of, of uh, description when you rise up, when you lie down, when you leave your gate, when you enter, you're supposed to tie it to your hands and to your forehead, these commands of God. And it's this, this picture of always teaching your children about God. Now, we can go too far and be like, uh, all right, as we walk to the car, let's read from the Psalms. Open your Bibles to Psalm 119. Right? That, that's, that's not what he's talking about, but he's about everything. To be able to, when you eat something good together, to go, isn't God good? When you see something beautiful together, you go, Look at the creation we've been blessed with. When you feel well together, you rejoice when you are feeling poor together. Our family has just gone through the summer cold together. Uh, When you feel poor together, you complain and you gripe and you lament and yet you glorify God all the same. 
This is what it means to teach our children, is to constantly bring our faith to bear upon everyday life, to rejoice when the toaster works, to lament and ask God for provision when it doesn't, and to, to really join together with our kids in this kind of relationship. Second place we're supposed to be doing this is it's in our personal relationships and the people that we encounter every day. Each and every one of us is a missionary. Each and every one of us has a mission field. Some of our mission fields are not as glorious as, as a village in India, which is just home for you, so that doesn't feel very glorious, but we think it's amazingly glorious. Some of us don't have that kind of a mission field. Some of us, our mission field is, you, you know, standing and, and, and doing a job. Some of us, it's standing and teaching. It's standing and talking. It's sitting and typing. It's whatever. It's digging. It's driving. We have these jobs, and each of our jobs is a, a mission field for us to do what Jesus has commanded, to go and to make disciples, to share the good news, to see them baptized and taught. But another critical place and probably one of the most important places this discipleship cycle should be happening is in church life. And as we go through, we can see in Scripture some very clear commands and some very clear um, standards that are set in scripture for us when it comes to the discipleship cycle. Colossians 1.28, the apostle Paul is writing to the church there in Colossae and he is saying to them, him, Jesus, we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now there's some interesting little tidbits just in this one verse when it comes to the church teaching, when it comes to church leadership discipling the church body, that we are supposed to be proclaiming Jesus first and foremost. And so if we are not proclaiming Jesus, we are proclaiming something that is unnecessary or is only an encumbrance. But we proclaim Jesus and we are supposed to be warning everyone and teaching everyone, not just four little points, not just three little happy truths about how to make your life better, but with all the wisdom of Scripture, we're supposed to be teaching. And, and, and so there is so much truth here that we as a church and your leaders pouring into you, we should be going into every last nook and cranny of this book, this truth. Why? Not so that we can have a great big church and more money and flashy sign, though you know an LED sign would be cool. I mean, I'm just saying. Um, uh, there are some other churches that have them now. I mean, it's a competition. No, I really don't care. What I would rather have is that you invite three friends next Sunday. What I would rather have is that you understand the importance of what we're going to be continuing to talk about the rest of this morning. Why do we do this? Not to make a big, flashy church. Not so that Pastor Michael can get elected president of the Southern Baptist Convention someday. But, which, yeah, it won't happen. Uh, we... Yeah, I'm really bad at politics. So um, I'd be like, ah, and they'd be like, no. So anyway, um, what's our goal? To present all of you, all of us, everyone we encounter in faith, mature in Christ. The goal is that every one of us looks more like Jesus when we're done with our time together. That's the one goal. That's it. 
to grow up and look like Jesus. And of course, growing up and look like Jesus, to look like Jesus, it has some manifestations. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We go, we make disciples, we baptize, we teach. But that's the goal, is to look like Jesus. Later on, another pastor that Paul is writing to, his protege, Timothy, he says this, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. In other words, your task, Pastor Timothy, is to continue to read scripture aloud to the people over and over and over again, to encourage them and to teach them. That's our goal. That's our task. That's what we're here for. I'm not here to make you feel better about your week, though I hope you do feel better by the time you've spent some time with some quality time with God and, and in worship. I'm not here to, to tell you, you know, anything about government or politics. I'm here to tell you about Jesus, to read you scripture, to help you apply it to your life. That's what we're supposed to be about. This discipleship cycle that's all-encompassing. A little later, Paul writes to Timothy, or continues writing to Timothy, and he says this, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. In other words, be stubborn and keep doing this over and over and over again to keep a watch on yourself, to keep a watch on what you're teaching, to keep teaching, persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. We're supposed to be so engaged with God's word, so in, in, in just overwhelmed with the truth that we keep a, a close eye on it and we fall in love with the truths of God's word. And we, and we, we, we make sure that we are all learning and growing together, knowing that this is what brings salvation. This is what changes lives. Second Timothy, the Apostle Paul continues to write to Timothy a little bit later. This is actually just before the end of the Apostle Paul's life. We think he's probably in prison, um, and not just house arrest like he had been in other times of his life, but he's in the dungeons in Rome and about to be beheaded. And that's not a good thing for those of you who are you know, not clear on that uh, as far as beheading. Except Paul said it was a wonderful thing. For, to me, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And he writes to Timothy and he says this as he's facing death. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, what does this sound like? Sounds a lot like what Jesus has told us to do, right? You've learned, now you teach so they can learn, so they can teach, so others can learn, so they can teach. The discipleship cycle is woven throughout Scripture over and over again, beginning with what Jesus has commanded us to do, and the rest of the New Testament, we see it over and over again, this cycle of teach faithfully so that others will learn, so that they might teach, so that more can learn, so that they can teach, so that even more can learn, so that we might know God and make him known in all that we do. Paul writes to another pastor. His name was Titus. He ministered in a place called Crete. If you read uh, in Titus, Paul affirms the teaching of a Cretan poet and says that all, all Cretans are uh, liars, and uh, this is just not a good place to be doing ministry, according to Paul. 
But he says this to Timothy, I want you, no matter what happens around you, to teach what accords with sound doctrine. In other words, I want you to teach and make sure you're teaching the right stuff. I want you to teach, Timothy, or Titus. I want you to teach. The cycle continues. Teach that others might learn, that they might teach. A little bit later, Paul says to Timothy, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching... Show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. In other words, what's Titus supposed to be doing? Well, watching his character, watching how he lives, but also teaching with integrity. Teaching. Now, every time we see teaching in Scripture, we should understand that these teachers were not just standing up in empty halls and saying things, but they were always learners who were growing with the intent of them becoming able to teach. But what we see in Scripture is it's not just the pastor or other leaders, like we've seen in some of these examples so far, who are supposed to be teaching. It's not just the pastor or other leaders who are supposed to be teaching. The font's a little small down here at the bottom, but uh, it, this is one that uh, you can quote me on this. All good preaching is teaching. All good preaching should be teaching you something new about your relationship with God, about who he is, about how you are to grow in Christ-likeness. But the truth is, is that not all good teaching is preaching. In other words, if the only teaching you ever hear is good preaching, you're probably missing out on a whole swath of deep, meaningful teaching. And it's important for us to understand that the teaching in a church should not just come from a platform. In fact, as we read in Scripture, all of us are tasked with being teachers or participating in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ toward one another. Romans chapter 12, verses 6 and 7, the Apostle Paul is describing how a church should function. And he says that everyone has been given a spiritual gift, this supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And he says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us hide them and make sure that we never use the spiritual gifts that God has given to us. That's what he says, right? No, that's ridiculous. He says this, if we've been given a gift, let us use it. Now, he begins to list some of the gifts. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, in ser if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching. There are people who are called to be teachers in the body of Christ beyond just pastors. And some of you, you know, I, I was gifted with teaching. Not, and I'm not saying this. This is something you would say of yourself. God gifted me. I didn't used to like it, but now I have a supernatural gift, and I'm a teacher. And that's not prideful. That is to say, I know what God's doing in me and what he's done for me. Now, sometimes you say you're a teacher, and everyone around you goes, and that means you're not, okay? You have a different spiritual gift, and that's okay, too. That's okay, too. And y'all are starting to look around the room and saying, how many sleeping people are there? Hmm, maybe Michael's not gifted. I, hey, I ask myself that every week. Um, right? we, we, we study to show ourselves approved. We, but but we're, we're, there are people in the body who are gifted with teaching, not just the pastors, not just the elders. Colossians 3.16 this is what Paul says to the church. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. 
teaching and admonishing one another. Not let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and as the pastor teaches it each week, sit quietly and be attentive and take good notes. No, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. There are people who are gifted to teach, and then Colossians tells us that every one of us is supposed to be participating in teaching each other. That should just be like, because it's not just about sitting and always learning and always learning and always learning and always consuming, but it's about teaching one another in Scripture. Which is why you have heard me since I got here a little over four years ago now say, I am so happy to have everyone here on a Sunday morning. It is good when you're here for, for the gathering. It's good stuff. But if you're not engaged in a small group of some kind with others in our church, you are not necessarily growing the way that you could be. And you should be participating in both the learning and teaching experience of a small group. Why is a small group different than Sunday morning? How many of you have an insight as I'm preaching and you just stand up and scream it out? Oh, I got an idea. Let me share. How many of you guys would be intimidated? I'd let you probably. Uh, it's happened. <laughs> Michael, you look scared all of a sudden. <laughs> Please don't let that happen. But right, right, we don't do that, do we? Have you ever been in a small group Bible study and the teaching's going on and you raise your hand? Yes, yes. Hey, as we were reading, this came to me, and everybody in the room, they go, oh, that's different. And that can be good or bad. But, but, but right, you, you have the opportunity to teach as you learn. This is what Scripture is talking about, teaching and admonishing one another with the full counsel of Scripture, with everything that God has poured into all of us. And when we exclude ourselves from participating in this, we are falling short of what Jesus has asked us to do and be. He has called us to this discipleship cycle where we teach so that others might learn, and we learn that someday we might teach so that others can learn. And it is not something where teaching means standing up in front and talking for a long time. It can be as simple as participating in this cycle is as you learn, you have an insight and you teach others. But it doesn't happen in big groups. And this is a, we're, we're, we're an average-sized church, right? And it's hard. There's, there's just no way we would do discussion in this size group. But we can do it in groups of five or 10 or 15 people. That's why it's so critical because you are missing out on part of the discipleship cycle when you don't teach. In fact, Titus, Paul writes to Titus and says this, older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women. Now, there are other commands for older men to teach younger men. Clear commands in Scripture, though, that everyone is to be a teacher to those who are younger than themselves. And you might go, well, I'm not good at that. You realize you do it whether you mean to or not. 
Parents, as we structure and schedule our family life, the priorities that we establish teach our children how to live out their faith. Friend groups, peer groups, there's always one person who's the dominant one who sets the stage. Sometimes it's shared by two or three, but usually it's one person who's like dominant. You realize you're teaching? How you lead your peer group, the kind of jokes that you start off telling, you're teaching, you're leading. If you are in a leadership position at work, you're teaching. We're all called to be teachers in a way where we're aware of what we're teaching and we do it well. We're all teachers in a default manner, no matter what. Now, the writer of Hebrews has something to say about all of us when it comes to teaching. Hebrews 5.12, he says this, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Now, this is not a condemnation, but rather an encouragement. You, all of you, have the potential, all of us as believers, have the potential to be teaching others. And in fact, we should be teaching others. The writer of Hebrews says, by now, you've been saved for 20 years and you should be teaching other people. By now, you've been saved for 20 minutes and it's time for you to start teaching other people what you know about Christ. But instead, we've got to keep going back and back. You're constantly stuck in a state of learning. And you never teach. And because you don't teach, you languish and others miss out. Small groups, Sunday school, Bible studies, other things like that, it's this beautiful opportunity for us as believers to both teach and learn in the same setting and to grow in our faith and to be faithful to Scripture to be faithful to the commands of Jesus Christ. Instead of just coming and continually soaking up and soaking up and soaking up. I had a Bible teacher early in my life that said a lot of Christians are like sponges, and we think sponges are a good thing. You know, they just suck up and suck up and suck up and suck up information and truth. But if you have a sponge that is just full of water and sits there, do you know what happens to it? It goes rancid. It is disgusting. It is fit for nothing except to be thrown out. But if you have a sponge that is continually absorbing more and then releasing it into the life of someone else, it is being wrung out and then filled up and then wrung out and then filled up. It stays fresh. It stays usable. It stays alive. And that is what we're supposed to be as Christians. It's not just sponges. <laughs> Give me more, Jesus. But instead... Sponges who are both filled and then wrung out as we teach others and pour out who we are into the life of others. Sadly, both in church and overall, our culture values the wrong kinds of teaching. I'm a, I'm a member of a, or a part of a, a Facebook group, um, and I won't even tell you what it is, but what it, what it, what it does is it, it kind of makes fun of uh, perceived false teachers, guys and ladies who are teaching prosperity gospel. And it's probably a little mean in that we shouldn't be making memes and laughing at people, but their lies and the way that they distort scripture and teach untruth is so blatant, it's hard to understand how anybody trusts them. 
And guess what? They are some of the most popular teachers in American Christian culture. Some some of the places where you go on Facebook or or Twitter where you see a little meme or you see one little encouraging two-minute snippet of a sermon, what's interesting is nine times out of ten, that sermon came from a pastor where the rest of the message was blatant heresy and false doctrine. And you're spreading that little bit of feel-good, not knowing that you're implying that the rest of his teaching or her teaching is good as well. Our culture loves bad teaching. Our culture loves teaching that makes us feel better about ourselves. How many of you know, show of hands, right, but think about this, how many of us actually come to church hoping we'll feel better about ourselves by the end of the service? The truth is, is scripture teaches us to have a realistic view of ourselves. We are sinners who deserve damnation, and yet God in his infinite love and grace sent his only son, Jesus Christ, who died and rose again that we might be saved if we believe on him. The only thing of value in us is the spirit that seals our salvation and fills us up. And then beyond that, whatever God would do with us is like lanyap. And that's, sorry, that's, that's a southern way of saying overflow, the gravy, the extras. But our, val- our culture wants teaching that says your sin is okay. Whatever you choose, God loves you and, and accepts you. And, and, and the Apostle Paul told us that people would want this. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, he says this. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared and, and he talks about some legalistic stuff who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. He says eventually people are going to want to listen to lies, and that's what will make them happy. Other places, Paul says, they want their ears tickled. Now, I don't like my ears touched, but, you know, it, it feels good when people say nice things to you. Michael, you look so good in those jeans. I know. I know I got them for Christmas, and I'm filling them out nicely. Um, I continue to fill them. (laughs) Good thing they're stretchy. We all love to have nice things said to us. Well, God, God, God just loves you right where you're at and doesn't ask you to change. Well, God loves you where you're at, and he longs for you to change. Well, well, sin, you know, sin's okay. You'll be forgiven. No, sin is terrible. You should run away from it. People want to hear the things that make them happy. They want to hear lies. These are the kinds of lies that our culture wants to say to us. And some churches want to tell us our important pride. Now, everybody probably knows this is Pride Month, and I'm not going to go on some sort of of diversion to say anything about specific sins, but I'm going to say if you're proud of anything that God says is a sin, you are in a bad place. If you're proud of anything that God says is a sin, you're in a bad place. If you're proud of the way that you've manipulated and schemed to get ahead at work and think that that's a blessing of God, it is not. If you're proud of the way that you've hidden truth from your loved ones and that you're still making it and holding things together, that is not something to be proud of. That is something to repent of and turn away from. Any sin 
that God's word says should be avoided that you are proud of is a false teaching. Too often nowadays we're being divided by people who are saying, well, we need our world to be diverse and equitable. When what they really mean is, is I want mine, I hope I can take it from you. It's not scriptural. It's not truth. We live in a world where we want to say everything is true. Everything. You, you believe something different from me? That's okay. It's true for you. Your, your truth is yours. How many of you heard that phrase? Your truth. Well, something could be true because you believe it in your mind and you're an absolute raging lunatic. Right? I mean, if I told you my truth is that I am Napoleon Bonaparte, what would you say to me? Right? Yeah. No, you're nuts. That's not true, Michael. Yes, it is. I've just grown since the last time you saw me. <laughs> no, it's not true. There are truths, and they are in God's word, and things that contradict them are not true. There's this big word. It's a nickel word. It's fun to, to use, antinomianism. And you might go, what does that mean? Exactly why I used it. People who reject law or standards, who say that because we have the grace of God, the law no matter, it doesn't matter any longer. We can just cast it out completely. And the truth is, we are not saved by the law, but the law is still the standards by which God desires us to live. And this is the state of our world. People who are proud of sin, people who are dividing us in the name of diversity and equity, people who say everything is true, and if everything is true, then nothing is true. People who say, well, because God loves you, you can get rid of all the rules, and none of that is true. Some other things that are interesting for us to understand about our children. You guys know that, that if your kids go to public school, by state mandate, they spend anywhere between 900 and 990 hours per year in school. Now, I added a bit more because that's actually just instructional time. That doesn't count moving from class to class. It doesn't count anything, even remotely, like bus time or other things. They spend at about 1,200 hours, 1,260 hours a year in school. 1,260 hours a year engaged in school. Screen time, statistics tell us, for kids 8 to 18, they spend 2,500 hours a year looking at their screens, about seven hours a day. Guess what, adults? It's 11 hours a day. Of course, some of that screen is work, isn't it? But it still counts as screen time. But here's the truth for most of our families. Church, we spend about an hour and a quarter, maybe a little bit longer if Michael's really verbose this week. We spend about an hour and a quarter per week and if you attend church every Sunday of the year, 52 weeks a year, your children and you will have only spent 78 hours in church. We'll have only spent 78 hours in a, in a place where Jesus has told us our whole life is supposed to be centered around this teaching and learning cycle. The church has been instituted for us to grow, for us to, to, to teach one another, to challenge one another. And we ha will have spent only 78 hours in a year if we attend 52 weeks a year. The average church attender 
And some of you guys are going to be really excited this, by this because you're going to realize you're way above average. Average church attendance for a regular attender now is one to two Sundays a month. And some of you are like, yes, above average, first time in my life. And others of you are like, wow. You know, when you put it out there, when you do the math, it gets kind of discouraging. Remember, we talked, what we teach our children, what we model to one another, this is what we think is normal, this is what we think is right. If we are only engaging in challenging spiritual growth 78 hours a year, when, when our kids are in school for 1,200 hours a year, they have 2,500 hours a year in screen time on average. What do you think will continue to happen as we move forward? Why don't we teach? Here's some interesting stuff. In, in a March 27th, 2020 survey, Barna, who is a Christian survey uh, company, they said this, 70% of Americans claim to be Christians. Can you believe that? But when surveyed, 70% of Americans claim to be Christians. And this wasn't like when we called up the Baptist church, 70% of them said they were Christians. It, it, it's, it's like a phone survey of all Americans, 70% of them said they were Christians. But only 6% have a biblical worldview. So, in other words, a biblical worldview is we read the scripture, we think it's true, and we should apply it to our lives and live according to its standards. That's a biblical worldview. Only 6% of Americans think or have a biblical worldview. Only 2% of Americans, 18 to 29, have a biblical worldview. And you might think, well, right, but church people. In church people, anywhere from 11 to 22% of them had a biblical worldview. In other words, the majority of us in this room, when pressed, do not have a biblical worldview. There's a good chance that we don't see the world properly. We see it through our own distorted philosophies instead of through what God's word says. We think that sin is acceptable. We think that we can reject the laws and God will just kind of love us through and let us flub into heaven. We think that, well, yeah, Jesus is the only way, but so is, so is Islam, and, and so is Buddha's way, and so is Hinduism. And You know, we, we, we add on all these extra things because we don't see the world through the eyes of Christ. So this brings us to the point of why would we even talk about something that we're wanting to institute in September, Sunday school. Sunday school. An extra hour every week where every age group has the opportunity to hear God's word, to grow spiritually, and to become both learners and teachers. And what's interesting is, is most of us who have kids, we go, well, yeah, this is a no-brainer. We want our kids to learn about God. But guess what? This isn't about the kids as much as it's about you adults. Our children's ministry has been doing great. They serve, they teach, they love. Your children are discipled every time we have a children's ministry event. But most of you adults, and this is not condemnation, but it's a truth statement, are disconnected. And especially if you're watching online and you haven't been in the church for oh so long, you are amongst the most disconnected. We are disconnected from one another. We are nowhere near the right place in this discipleship cycle. We haven't learned anything about our faith in ages outside of a Sunday morning sermon. And we haven't taught anyone about Jesus ever. 
And so an opportunity for you and I to gather in smaller groups that are targeted to us and to our kids is what we're looking for. And I'm sorry, I, I started today and I said, I really need to be short. There are kids. And now I just keep rambling on. So um, here we go. Let's move fast. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. We want to fulfill this. We want this to be who we are. Where we are making disciples by teaching and baptizing that we gain confidence in togetherness to go and to reach out to others, that they might be baptized and taught so that they can teach others. So why would we want to do adult Sunday school? Why would we want to do an hour of Sunday school for every age group prior to our Sunday morning gathering? Because the elders, the deacons, we think it's necessary. We think it's necessary. Now, why do we think it's necessary? Because I'll, I'll be honest, even as pastor, I look around the room and go, I know some of you, uh, you know, fairly well. I know others of you just well enough to, 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 to say hey at the grocery store. And then there's, there's a couple folks that if we saw each other at the grocery store, you might not even recognize me. Because I'll be in a ball cap and shorts and could even have my overly long hair in a ponytail. And you'd be like, who's that hippie? We don't know each other well enough. We're not connected well enough. We're not teaching each other. Some of you have got deposits of wisdom and spiritual truth residing within you that I need. I need what you have to teach me if we were to gather together in, 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 in an opportunity for us to, to do that. Here's, here's the second thing. It's the most reasonable option. And why do I say it's the most reasonable option? Man, we have labored I, I, I've told you since I've gotten here, get in a small group, go to a Bible study. About 10 people do it faithfully. And, and I don't, that's not a dig on anybody. And we understand why. Why is it? What's the number one reason most of you can't attend a midweek Bible study? You're too busy. There's too much going on. So what we're asking you is, would you please, would you please Get up on a Sunday morning, not way too early, but just early enough to come to church an hour sooner than you have been, an hour and 15 minutes sooner than you have been, and spend an hour with us in Bible study and, and fellowship in small groups that are targeted to what you would like to learn and targeted to your children. It's the most reasonable option, because when we talk about doing Wednesday night, well, who's going to come? The same 10 people, and they'll try and do a nursery and kids ministry, and it won't work. It's the most reasonable option. And here's the final thing about why prayer, planning, and submission, we feel like, have led us to this point. The elders and the deacons, we've prayed, we've planned, we've thought about it, we have submitted this to God over and over again, and we feel like this is the best answer for our church. And so, prayer, planning, and submission have led us to this point. So, what will Sunday school look like as we try and launch it later this year? We're not like next week. So next week, Sunday school. <laughs> no, we're talking about September. In September, we want to launch Sunday school. An hour and a half or so before service, about 9.30, 9.45. We'll talk about that here in a second. We want to have every family, every one of you here, every Sunday that you can, your kids, if you have them in age-appropriate classes, being taught by the same person every week 
discipled by someone who will enter into deeper relationship with them. Our children's ministry has done a great job, but they're on a rotating schedule because nobody wants to miss church every week. And so while they build some relationships, they don't build deep relationships necessarily. The same teacher every week with your child will build a deep relationship with them. And if you're a teacher and you're hearing that, you, I, I would think you'd be excited. You mean I get to check in with the same kids every week? Oh, this is exciting. I get to grow them. We get to do parties together. We get to belong to one another. And we want it to be a full school year, September through May. Why? We're going to ask you to commit with us to one full school year. If kids can suffer through, through online learning for a year, we can suffer through Sunday school for a year and see if we can make it work because it's what's best for us as a body. So start times. It's up in the air. We're going to ask your opinion. Here's some things we can do. 9.30 to 10.45 and be out by noon. 9.45 to 11 and be out by 12.20. 9.45 to 10.55 and be out by 12.05 or so. What we want to know, there's a survey you should have received as you came in. What's the earliest time you'd be here? And how late will you, are you willing to stay for the service to be over? Now, I realize we all have our weeks, right? What's the earliest time you were willing to be here? It might be, well, some weeks I can be here by 9.30, but some, I don't want to be here till 10.15 or 10.45, but we understand. Well, what's the earliest you think is reasonable, and what's the latest you're willing to stay so that we can schedule Sunday school appropriately? And know that we're going to have classes. We've got nursery. We're going to have preschool and students and adults. For adult classes, we already have three options that we can throw out right away. We have got doctrine and theology, a class that will focus on our Baptist faith and message, and then move into other areas of doctrine and theology. So some of you are nerds, and you're like, I would love that, and I will be teaching that. We have got Through the Bible with Elder Steve, and then we have got ladies only, so that you know it will be, you know, refreshing and smell fine, uh, that Shelley would teach for all the ladies, and, and going through, starting with the ladies in the books of the Bible, or ladies in the Bible, the significant women of the Bible. And so we, we've already got opportunities, other opportunities, classes, if you are a teacher and you say, I want to teach on, come and get me and talk to me, fill out your survey and we'll talk about it. And that's on the back of your survey. There's the front that asks questions about time. On the back, it asks, would you be willing to teach? Are you interested in teaching in any of these areas? If you circle, I'd like to teach adults, Tell me what you'd like to teach. If it says, you know, macrame and knitting, we might go, hey, that's a great class for a Wednesday night or a Thursday night. How about not right now? Um, you know, but, but you're, you're a teacher and you're passionate about something. Let me know. You might ask, so what will this do to children's ministry? It'll change things. Starting in September, we will have weekly children's sermons. And I know parents that it is a challenge sometimes to have your kids in service with you. Shelly and I did it, okay, let's be honest, Shelly did it with all three of ours, and she did a great job, and all of you here today, you're doing a great job, and your kids can, and we'll work to keep things tighter and engaging as we move forward, and then once a month, we're looking to have volunteers who will do a children's church, take the kids downstairs, party it up once a month, and what that does is it makes it to where Children's church volunteers don't have to miss quite so much of the Sunday service on a regular basis. So what are we asking for? What am I asking for? What are the elders and the deacons asking out of you? Two things. We still need teachers. 
teachers for all the age groups. So on that survey, if you're interested in teaching any age group, we will train you, we will equip you, you will need clearances, but that most of us can manage that. We will train you, we will equip you, we will make sure you know what you're doing. And then for everybody, whether we're asking you to teach or not, we're asking for you to consider committing. To join with us and say, from September to May, I will make, along with the leadership and, and, and the rest of my church, I will make Sunday school a priority. I will attend as often as I am able. Now, for some of you, I know that means every Sunday. For some of you, I know that means two or three Sundays a month. And that's okay. But be committed. And not allow a Sunday where you would normally be there to become an excuse. Well, we just wanted to sleep in. We just, you know, we need, man. Listen, I understand sleep. I understand the need of it. I understand the joy of sleeping. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to a nap later today. But, man, i got to tell you what's even better is to grow in Christ-likeness. What's even better is to, to spend really good time with other believers. So, as we see what, what uh, Jesus has commanded us to, to be in this discipleship cycle of teaching and learning, as you hear, have heard the requests, you've heard the, the questions, I want to ask you to do one thing as, as the worship team makes their way up and gets ready to close us with our last song of the morning. I want to ask you to do one thing for me, and that is to grab the survey if it's in your hand or anywhere near your hand and to fill it out. And then there's a basket in the back. Now understand, the questions on the front are completely anonymous. So if you want to be mean, you can be mean. If you want to be like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard about in my life, that's cool. Tell us. Be honest. It doesn't become personal until you flip it over, sign up to be a teacher, and put your name on it. If you're going to do that and then complain, I just recommend maybe you think through that a little bit better. But, but, but you know, if you're going to, if you're going to, like, if you want to light into it, that's fine. Listen, unless God speaks otherwise or there is a great uprising and everyone brings pitchforks and torches next week, we're moving forward with this because we believe it's what God has established for our church. Our strength is in teaching and discipleship. We are not flashy. We are not really good at being uh, flamboyant. We are not great at going out and marching in streets or knocking on doors. But by golly, we've got some gifted teachers and some strong disciplers, and we need you to be part of it. So just before uh, the worship team starts, I hope I, I've seen a few pins moving. Uh, if you didn't get a survey and you'd like to fill one out, they're on this little table on the way out. Please, everyone, fill out a survey. You might think, well, I'm not, I, don't, I don't have a voice. You have a voice. Oh, I don't matter. I, you matter. Well, I wouldn't come anyway. Please tell me that. <laughs> Please tell us that so we can measure things adequately and know how to respond. So, um, If you guys don't mind, I realize it's been a little bit of business to wrap up. May I pray, and then we'll worship in a, a final song. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that through your son, Jesus Christ, we are both saved and redeemed and given a purpose. Lord Jesus, may we take the purpose that you've given to us to go and make disciples and take it seriously. We pray that this would be a, the beginning of a season of more baptisms, of more teaching, of more growing, a season where more people take up the mantle of teacher who say, I've learned enough, it's time for me to pour out. We ask, Lord Jesus, that this would be a new season for our church as we commit to moving forward in new things. 
that you would build your church and that we would glorify you in all that we do. We know that this is not a magic formula for success. This is not some sort of turnkey thing and next week we'll have 500 people. Instead, may we be the same that we have been in number but more like you by the end of it and that would be enough. Continue to lead us and guide us and direct us. I pray that you would lay on each of our hearts how we should commit to this body in the coming months and years. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and close this.
Thank you for being patient. Uh, if you didn't, it felt like I went way long. It's all Michael's fault because he kept telling me it was okay. So um, I just <laughs> get him. Um, thanks so much for being here this week. We do have opportunities to enter into the discipleship cycle already. So don't miss tomorrow night Bible study, Wednesday night women's ministry, uh, Thursday night is a student's parent meeting for those who are going on centrifuge, so not a normal student meeting. And then of course next Sunday, oh, men's breakfast, are we doing it, the third? Okay, first Saturday in men's breakfast this next Saturday, Just, I, we've, we've been saying so, but I wanted to verify there. Yeah. All right. Well, well, you'll get an email if, if Don changes his mind. Um, yeah. Uh, but we will. Normal services next week. Looking forward to seeing all of you. We will continue the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, verse 1, is where we'll be starting again. So uh, be reading ahead and seeing what God's Word has to say. Love you all. Be considering how you might become a greater part of the discipleship cycle as we move forward. God bless.